Thanks, Russ. Good morning. I think it was uh, 20 years ago, my wife Lisa and I were living in Pullman, and we were getting ready to move uh, to the Middle East. I was going to teach English. And a friend of ours from our church was standing in a pizza pipeline line, and she overheard somebody say, United Arab Emirates, and her ears perked up, and she said, somebody from our church is, is going there. And she said, somebody from our church lives there. And so they exchanged information, and she gave us Kevin and Teresa's contact information, the only people we knew um, on that side of the world. So we moved with our two little kids there, and sometime during that year we met Kevin and Teresa, and we uh, joined the team that they were a part of, working with an international organization throughout the Arabian Peninsula, and they became like our, our family away from home, and we went through lots of good and challenging, difficult things together, and since that time, they've, well, they've been working in the Middle East, North Africa, and the Arabian Peninsula for 30 years now, um, stirring people up in different churches around the world to become aware of what God's doing in that part of the world, uh, recruiting people, equipping people, and supporting people on the ground. And uh, I think... It's uh, it's a it's very much like the Book of Acts in the sense that um, pushing the envelope, going further out, and being in contexts that are very different, sometimes dangerous for the people who are there, and um, fruitful as God works. So um, rather than listen to me, let's hear what Kevin has to say. Kevin. great to be with you this morning. What would be fun to talk about? Now, we just said that I came from the Middle East, so I could tell you horror story after horror story after horror story. But I think you already know that because you watch news or you go on the internet and you see it. But did you know that in these days, more Muslims are coming to faith in Jesus Christ than ever before in history? It's happening right now. We are looking at a time in the world where we are beginning to see a harvest in some of the last remaining places in the world. And as brothers and sisters in Christ, we have to ask the question, what is God doing in the world today? How do we fit into this huge plan of God and what he's doing? And I think it's a fair question to ask, how much time do we really have? If Jesus said the gospel is going to go out through the whole world and then the end will come, well, how much of the whole world is left? And then how does that impact us? Whether we live in Spokane or whether we live in Dubai or we live in Canada. You know, really, it all comes down to this. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. 
You know, if we just look at our history in just a very brief sentence or two, in eternity past, before we were created, before the world was created, what do we have? We had beautiful relationship, harmony, community, love in the Godhead. God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. And then they created mankind to join into them, into that community. And then, of course, we know sin came in. What happens when sin comes in? Relationships are broken. But we turn to the end of the book, and what do we see in Revelation? Eternity in the future. It's all about relationship, community, love. That's where we're going to be. That's where it started. That's where it's going to go. And everything in between, where we're living now, is God bringing people back to himself. A book came out just this year, and it's called A Wind in the House of Islam. And there's some statistics in this book that just blew me away. And basically, the author of this book says that from the time... He was trying to trace huge people movements, people coming to faith in Christ. And he called a movement is when either a thousand people or a hundred churches came to faith into Jesus Christ. And he went back through history looking specifically at the Muslim world. So look at these statistics. From basically the year 632 up until 1980, there was two recorded in history. Did you get that? Two. But from 1980 until the year 2000, there was 11. But now look where we are. In the last 12, 13 years, in the Muslim world, there have been 69 different movements in 12 years. Do you see that momentum? You know, we look at the Middle East right now, and all we see is, is the horrors of war. We see the terrorist stuff going on. We see all of this stuff, and yet... When we take a step back and look at the big picture of what God is doing, God is basically saying, now is my time for the Middle East. Now is my time for the Arab people that they will understand my love for them. You know, most Arab Muslims, they just have never heard of, of the love of God in Jesus. How can we expect them to respond if they've never heard? And actually, one of the problems that we have is we tend to have a lot of prejudice towards different peoples. I have been to places here in the States that said, you know, the best thing we could do for the Arabs really is just bomb them all. That was in a church. So what has been happening one of the things you're probably familiar with is the 1040 window. And uh, next slide. The major blocks, Islam, Buddhism, Hinduism. This term, the 1040 window, it only came in about 1989. But you know what it did? It galvanized the world. Because Christians in Korea or China or in Australia or Africa or Europe or North America, they started to say, you know what? This is where we need to be to get to Jesus' words of the gospel going out. So when this came out in 1989, the statistics of people that were working there and the number of people that lived there, you can read these on the screen. 
We had basically 66% of the world, 90% of the unevangelized. You know, we are rich here. Every one of you has a Bible in your home. You have a Christian bookshop. You have churches that you can go to. You have radio stations, TV stations. There are still people that haven't had access to even here once. And so part of our responsibility is let's make sure everyone gets to hear once. But when people began to look at that, 96% of the missionaries going to places uh, that are very needy, but we haven't allocated a lot of missionaries to these places. Or when we look at even the finances. So there's been this unbalance that was exposed back in the 80s. And so people around the world have started to say, you know what? Let's give these people a chance. And probably the most important thing that happened is that Christians around the world started to pray for countries like Kuwait or Saudi Arabia or Libya or Egypt. What happens when God's people pray? Well, let me just give you some stories of what is happening. Uh, the next one is just uh, a map. If you look up there, we're going to look at uh, a little bit of Algeria. Then we're going to move to the east, to Egypt. We're going to go up to Syria a little bit, and then across the Arabian Peninsula to the Persian Gulf, to Qatar. Just some stories. Let's start with Algeria. Here's a picture of a church in Algeria. You know, some of the churches in Algeria, if you don't come an hour before the service, you don't get a seat. You don't get a seat. Since 1980, over 120,000 Muslim Algerians have come to faith in Jesus Christ in just these last decades. And here is just a picture of some of them getting baptized. But one of the incredible things is just this last couple months ago, there was a gathering of 250 Algerians to do what? To have a missions conference. And they said, you know, it's our responsibility to be reaching our people. And we need to be going into Tunisia and into Libya and into these other places. And they formed a missions association, the Algerian Missions Association. And during that meeting of 250 people, there's about 90 people that said, yeah, I want to be part of this. I want to go somewhere else, whether it's for a week or for a month. I want to see things happen. You see that movement that's going in countries where it hasn't happened for literally over a thousand years. If we move across to, to Egypt, you've heard of all the uprisings in Egypt about how the Muslim Brotherhood came and they took over. And they can be scary. Muslim Brotherhood guys, they're pretty intense, long beards. But you know what? Inside, they're just like us. They want peace. They want joy. They want to know really who God is. They just don't know quite how to get there. And the only way that they do know is to go and be more fundamentalist. Right now it's, it's Ramadan in the Muslim world. And about a year ago during Ramadan in Egypt, uh, Egyptian Christians went out on the streets. And they would go at the end of Ramadan when people are breaking their fast and they would give a little cup of water and they would give some, some dates. That's a traditional way to break the fast. But in there they would also put scripture verses. And they would go up to these guys, these fundamentalists, mother and brotherhood, and they would say, here, God bless you. And they would give them something. And you know their response? They were shocked. Absolutely shocked. Why are you doing this for us? 
And they said, well, basically, God loves you. In two weeks, they gave out over 3,000 New Testaments. Do you think people are hungry out there? Hungry for love? Hungry for the good news that is Jesus? That's what's been happening in Egypt. Probably one of the most significant people in the world that is having an impact on Islam right now is a guy by the name of Father Zachariah. This guy right here. He's an Egyptian Coptic priest. And he has done something that really hasn't been done before. He's gone on television, satellite television, and he said, this is who Muhammad is, and this is who Jesus is. And he doesn't hold back anything. Can you imagine how that shook some people? And he said, this is the Quran, and this is the Bible, and this is what they say. And he lays it out there for people to look at. He's led thousands upon thousands upon thousands of Arab Muslims to Jesus in these last years. He has been so successful in what he's been doing that there was a price put on his head. $60 million. Think about it. A couple years ago, I was at a conference, and uh, Father Zachary was there. And so we're sitting down, and we're talking, and I, I had to ask him, what is it like to live every day, knowing when you get up in the morning that there's a price on your head of $60 million. All someone needs to do is take a shot at you. You know what he said? He said, Kevin, I've already died. He said, I died to Jesus a long time ago. And every day that Jesus gives me to live, I am going to walk a path, and that path will be determined by fruit of the Holy Spirit. And when God is ready for me, then he will take me. I've already died. I only live for Jesus. Well, if we move over to Syria, the horrendous situation where hundreds of thousands of Syrians had fled out of their country into Turkey, into Lebanon, into Jordan. And these are desperate people taking nothing, many of them with the clothes on their back. Many of them who've seen their families killed. And they're coming out. And the amazing thing is how the Christian Lebanese or the Christian Jordanians have opened their homes and even opened some of their churches to their Muslim enemies. And this has become so powerful. When a Muslim comes out and they have absolutely nothing and they go to the mosque and the mosque says, we can't help you. But if you just go down the road over here, there's a church. And they will help you. That is the love of Jesus. One pastor in Syria has been requesting 2,000 New Testaments. They can't get enough New Testaments in to be able to give out in this time of need. Many of the churches that have opened up their doors, they've tripled and quadrupled in the number of people in their church because so many Syrians have been coming to faith. In Jesus Christ. One church in Lebanon has distributed 7,000 New Testaments, 12,000 DVDs, 500 Christian books, 4,000 children's Bible stories. Hungry people, desperate people. We're living in the midst of a horrible mess in the Middle East, but at the same time, this mess is like this the love of God is being poured out, and people are beginning to come to faith. Let me just read to you one story 
that was written by an Arab brother of what's happening on the ground. He said this, Dear friends, we want to share with you great testimony. This isn't my bad English, okay? I'm just reading what he wrote. Something started to happen. That people, we did not share the gospel with them. They just accepted Jesus through a revelation or through TV channels. And God arranged in amazing ways to get to know them. Every time I meet someone recently, I passed him to someone of the leaders to continue with him. Today, we baptized four people that we got to know two weeks ago. When I knew them, I was willing to pass them to someone to baptize them and disciple them. One woman in her 50s accepted Jesus. She was seeing dreams and visions. Then she started to watch the the TV channel. This is satellite television being broadcast in. She accepted Jesus after she was healed. Through her, two of her daughters accepted Jesus. Her son, who was a doctor, is very close. He also saw visions and revelations. It's very strange. Sometime when he was going out of the hospital where he works, he saw Jesus in a tree close to the hospital. Then the lady shared with her sister who lives in the same city where we live. She received some revelations and accepted Jesus. Her son, 21, accepted Jesus. Her younger daughter also. Do you get the feeling of what's going on over there? Now, I don't know how many dreams of Jesus you have had. I haven't had any. I'm a little jealous. But here's just one testimony of one family. And how the Spirit of God is coming down and taking people in their need. And bringing them to himself. Finally, just one last story in Qatar. A man called up one of the media follow-up centers. And this is his story. The one who was talking to him on the phone says this. I received a message from Muhammad asking to know more about Christianity. After talking to him, I discovered that he is an imam. And he is the leader of one of the mosques in Qatar. He'd been watching satellite TV And he called him up and he received Christ into his life as Savior. But he was still thirsty. He needed to know more about the Christian faith. He found a website when he was searching for the gospel online so that he could read it for himself. In my next Skype meeting with Muhammad, we spent one and a half hours talking about Christ and the Christian life. At the end of that conversation, he asked me a hard question. Get this one. Tomorrow is Friday. Friday is the day of worship in the Middle East. Tomorrow's Friday, and I have to lead my people in prayer at the mosque. What do you think I should say? First, I had no idea how to answer. Then I said, Muhammad, let's just pray together. I know that God will lead you. Started praying and thanking God for everything he has given us and will give us. Then I prayed for Muhammad and for God to lead him the next day. When I'd finished praying, Muhammad said, I know what I'm going to preach about tomorrow. I will preach about thanking God. You've already given me the outline of what to say. That's what he did. He preached to the people without mentioning the prophet of Islam or the Quran. He just focused on God and how to thank him and for what. And I'm discipling with Muhammad on a weekly basis. We've never seen this kind of stuff happen. When I left seminary to go overseas to the Middle East, one of my seminary professors said to me, Kevin, why are you wasting your life and all of your education here to people 
who do not want to hear. You know, as we think about our role, we think about our life um, as Christians in today's world. Russ has said, just share something that has been hitting me personally. So that's what I want to share with you today. Reading in Paul's letters to the Corinthians, I came across this, this one phrase where he says, Why do we endanger ourselves every hour? And then Paul goes on to say, I die every day. I mean that, brothers, just as surely as I glory over you in Christ Jesus our Lord. You know, it's a good question. Being a believer in today's world, why do we do it? Why do we suffer? Is it worth it? And what does Paul mean when he says, I die every day? I see Paul saying, I give up my dreams, my life, my hope, whatever it is, for the sake of my relationship with God, for the sake of the people he wants me to minister to. And in doing that, I personally have to die every day. I have to say no to myself every day. Now, I don't know about you. I struggle with that. I don't want to die every day. I don't want to have to say no. You ever think about fasting? Fasting is a very simple way. You're going to do this? My body says, I'm hungry. And you say, no. I'm going to do this. Very simple example. You know, we look at, at Paul's life. Look at the things that Paul went through. I've worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, been exposed to death again and again. Five times received from the Jews 40 lashes. Three times I've been beaten with rods, one stone, three times shipwrecked, spent a night and day in the open sea, danger from rivers, from bandits, from my own countrymen. I have labored and toiled and often gone without sleep. I've known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food, cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. Think about that kind of a lifestyle. And then he asks the question, why do we do it? The thing I like about Paul, the thing I like about our holy book, is how brutally honest it is. Because in the same chapter that Paul talks about this question, why do we do this? He actually brings up the, the issue, what if we're wrong? What if Jesus never died? What if Jesus never rose from the grave? You know what he says? He says this. If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. If Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless. And so is your faith. People, we're wasting our time being here this morning. If everything about Jesus as we've heard is not true. He goes on. He says, if only in this life we have hope in Christ, we are to be pitied more than all men. We're pathetic. We're deceived. We're living a lie. And he goes on, he says, if the dead are not raised, let's just eat and drink. 
Let's just serve ourselves and pleasures and run after those kind of things. He puts it all on the table. And it's almost like Paul is saying, either you're all in or you're all out. But Paul is all in. And what does that mean for us? What does it mean for us to be all in? What does it mean for us to be able to follow Christ 100%? What does it mean for us to die daily? Paul also said to the Corinthians, For Christ's love compels us. Because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died, and he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. And then he says, all this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ. Remember, it's all about relationship. It's all about community. He reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. And he's committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. How much time do we have? How much time do you have? In God's big perspective, as he is shaking and changing the world today, what is our role in that? What would Christ have you do today? What would he have you do tomorrow? What ministry does he want to be blessing other people through in your life? It doesn't matter where we are. It doesn't matter what we do. Are we living all in? Are we living that 100%? Are there areas in our lives where we say, I need to die to that? Nights of fasting and prayer. Visiting people that are in need. Whatever it is, I don't know. But I think, brothers and sisters, in these days, we don't have time to waste. God is moving in the world. He is bringing that harvest. We will see the gospel go out to every corner of the world. It's already happening. It's almost done. That's a sobering thought. But it's an encouraging thought. And we have the privilege to be in this generation and to see the things that no one has seen before us. We get to see millions of people coming to faith in Iran. That's already happened. Did you know that? In Iran. It's happening. Father, thank you for this time, brothers and sisters. Thank you, Father, for what you're doing in the world. Thank you, Lord, that you give us one another. Thank you that you give us your word. And Father, we, we want to be all that you've called us to be in these days. Help us to do that. Father, bless this fellowship, this community, to be all that you called them to be right here in Spokane. Father, that you would anoint them, give them power and strength and courage for these evil days. 
And Lord, we give you all the thanks and all the praise and all the glory in Jesus' name.